where we broadcast our pirate signal and pack into the matrix. Escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Thank you, com- comrade. Lock, I got him. No. <laughs> Howdy, Tonzilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. Tonzilla Xpot, EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. Hi there. Hope you're having a good week. A good couple of weeks, huh? I think it's been two full weeks today since I've released one of these. I've sat down pretty much every day for the last two weeks to try. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, yes, I do. I'm not going to turn you into Dr. Phil today. You're welcome. But now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to force this thing out like a piece of cognitive constipation. It's a loaf. It's two episodes in a row that I've talked about pinching off a loaf. Right? Anyway, it is October 23rd. I think it's a Wednesday. <coughs> I think it is. Yeah, World Series started last night. Started on a Tuesday. So today's Wednesday, bright and early. Sun is out. My sleep schedule's screwed. I have quit smoking. I don't know if I told you that. I think I did. Well, well, sort of quit. I still have my vape. But I have uh, gone pretty much uh, three weeks without a cigarette. Three weeks, I've had one. It was kind of funny. I bummed it. I was playing tricks with myself. And uh, I bummed a cigarette from a guy at Guitar Center, went up and uh, got this cloud lifter device about a week, uh, 10 days ago. Decided I would try to confront the urge to smoke a cigarette, right? So I bummed a cigarette from one of the dudes that worked up there, and I just held on to it. We had to go all the way up to Detroit on the other side of the state. So I held on to the cigarette, didn't smoke it, kept it in the car, put it on the table in the living room. So every time that I got the urge to smoke, I would have to look at this damn thing and feel it, right? Just to condition myself to getting away from having the urge to smoke, to understanding what the urge is, feeling it, instead of running from it. Because you got to endure this at some point, right? You have to understand you're going to endure these uh, cravings, and you're going to have to fight through them at some point. So it helps to confront them, well, most of the time. <laughs> Well, I finally broke down Sunday because I, I, I've started to sort of step my vape down, the strength of my vape. I'm trying to get it down to about 1.5. If you don't vape, it doesn't matter. That's just almost nothing. When you're down to 1.5, you're barely getting any nicotine in your system. And once you can do that, you know, it's not so much of a nicotine problem. It's more of that psychological habit that I talked about. So I'm starting that, that process of, of stepping down, and I got down to 6, and I was like, holy shit, oh boy. <laughs> and suddenly having that, 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 that cigarette on the table wasn't such a good idea. I finally caved in and uh, decided I'd smoke it. But the last time I quit about 10 years ago, I mean, occasionally you go back. Occasionally, at least I do. I don't think this is a good idea for most people. But when I quit before, I would slip up. I had one cigarette, typically. And it was enough because when you get enough of the nicotine out of your system and it's out of your system for long enough, you know what happens? You'll smoke a cigarette and there are going to be times you're just going to get sick. Your body is going to uh, just reject the nicotine. I mean, it will knock you on your butt. It'll send you into, like, these sweats. You'll get nauseous. You'll have to curl up on the couch. May I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. It's good for you because it reminds you that this shit's bad for you. 
Yeah, it's it's like uh, you know you get drunk on Jack Daniels. You know, remember you're a kid, you go out and you you you, you pound some Jack, and you, you you find yourself puking all over the place, and you can't stand the smell of the stuff. It's the same idea. You have this negative association then with the cigarette. Pretty soon you get to the point where you just don't do it again, hopefully. So that was my first one. Didn't get me sick, but I'm not going to be having any more cigarettes here in the house. So, But it's going pretty well. I have to get rid of these things. I've been having issues with uh, <laughs> coughing. Had me a little freaked out there for a while, but like it, it had gone beyond the traditional smoker's hack. And as soon as I got rid of the cigarettes, I doubt you'll be hearing me hack into the microphone today. <laughs> well, that's good. Anyway, I uh, did an episode the last time I was uh, last time I was with you. Did an episode about uh, pinching off the impeachment loaf. Just not going to pay any attention to anything that's going on with Donald Trump and the impeachment. Oh my God, you can't do it. You can't do it. I, I just I, I so desperately just want to detach from everything. And let it go and just watch. But you know what? It changes constantly. You can't not pay attention to this shit. You're doing better than I am. If you can actually pull yourself, tear yourself away from all of this, you are doing a lot better than I am because I can't do it. I really can't. It's it's so fluid. It changes by the day. The last time I did a real episode, I don't think that the Syria thing had blown up just yet. Right? And I made a prediction. I came out and said that, you know what? I think that they're going to impeach this guy. I think they're going to go to the trial in the Senate. And I think the Senate's going to acquit him because I didn't see any path forward. I said as much. I didn't see any path forward where the Republicans would actually convict this dipshit in a Senate trial. So, yeah, they're going to they're going to impeach him. And then he's going to get his vindication moment. And it's going to rile up the base, it's going to rile up the Republicans because, oh, he's, he's, been, he's been being persecuted all this time. And now he's been vindicated. We're going to vote for Trump and he's going to get, he's going to get reelected next year. Well, here comes Syria. And, oh, my God, if we've learned nothing over the last 20 years, you don't mess around with, with Republicans and military incursions into Middle Eastern countries. Holy crap. Mitt Romney's come out. I think another senator from Texas, or I'm sorry, a representative from Texas came out, bucked him, and then immediately announced he wasn't going to run for re-election. There have been a few of these people. And what I've noticed, the silence. Nobody's really coming out against him because, of course, the constituent mob. They can't do it just yet, but a lot of them, a lot of them are saying nothing. There's been these rumblings I've heard about how these Republicans are, they're taking their time to analyze the situation and look at the facts. We're going back and reading the Founding Fathers. I think Romney said he was reading the Federalist Papers. Other people are doing the same thing. They're giving the impression that, hmm, we're going to be thoughtful about this. But very, very few. Even Lindsey Graham, I think, came out and said, he didn't quite say that he was, you know, hoping for impeachment or anything like that. But he said he could, oh, this, is, this could be problematic. Lindsey freaking, this guy, he's schizophrenic. He doesn't know what he thinks about much. But yeah, the, 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 the silence and the lack of just blatant full frontal support for Trump has been deafening. You know, I, I, I can't sit here now 
Three weeks later, it's been yeah, three weeks or so since I've done a podcast. I guess two weeks. I can't sit here two weeks later and say the same thing that I said at the beginning of the month. There may be a path here. I mean, and then what? <laughs> I, this, this dawned on me the other day. I have a little chat with a friend of mine and it's like, uh, okay, well, let's, let's just put on our what if hat here. And let's say he's impeached. He's indicted. Let's, let's get one thing straight first off. Impeachment does not mean removal. Impeachment means it's basically he's indicted. And then there's going to be a trial in the Senate. There's no standard. There's no legal standard that has to be met for impeachment. The House and the Senate, by the way, they both make their own rules. They set their own standards for an impeachment. An impeachment and then the trial. Okay? So let's say it's almost certain that there's going to be a vote. There's going to be articles of impeachment drawn up, and this is going to go to the Senate. He, he almost certainly will be impeached before too long. And let's put the, the, the what-if hat on, and let's say the Senate somehow convicts him. What happens then? Let's say that it takes, say they expedite it, say he's impeached and removed by the middle of February. What are the Republicans going to do then? We have an election coming up in just over a year. That's going to give them about, what, nine months to decide how they want to approach the 2020 election. Do you imagine, I don't know how this works. I don't know that anybody really understands how this would work. But if you've got nine months after a removal of a sitting president, nine months between that and an election, how do you determine who's going to run? Do you think the Republicans are just going to settle for Mike Pence? How does that work? Are they going to improvise a primary process? And this terrifies me because their guy has just been removed. Trump's base is going to be livid, spastic. What could possibly come out of a truncated primary process after that? Alex Jones, perhaps? Oh, boy. Or do the establishment commonsensical Conservative Republicans, the ones who aren't off the batshit fringe, off on the range there with Donald Trump and his cult, do they reclaim control of their party and just nominate, just pick somebody, just pick somebody to run up against whatever the the Green Tea Party puts out, which looks like it's going to be Elizabeth Warren. So (laughs) how does that work? How is any of this going to fucking work? Do you have any idea? Does anybody know? We are so far off the map. I mean, Magellan would be impressed for our adventurism in politics. We're somewhere off the tip of South America trying to find the Pacific. And nobody knows where the hell we're going. And beyond that, I mean, there there are other signs here. There are other signs that there are cavitations within the establishment republic, just within that part of the body politic. Like Shepard Smith, I'm assuming you saw this, what, week ago? He was birthed with Fox News. He's been on that network, or had been on that network for 23 years. He was a Fox News institution, known for being, at least by their standards anyway, a reputable journalist. He took his job relatively serious. I enjoyed watching him, actually. I could watch him even when I was in uh, the uh, resistance. 
There was one show on Fox I could actually kind of watch back then when I couldn't watch anything else. He decides he's going to go in, have a meeting with uh, the higher-ups at Fox, and he asks them to release him from his contract. He's in the middle of a long-term deal paying him $15 million a year. And a few days after, I think Trump had a meeting with Rupert Murdoch or a phone call, something down there. I can't remember the, the specifics of it, but there was a connection between Trump and Rupert Murdoch. And a couple of days after that, Shepard Smith goes in, writes up his resignation, his on-air resignation, types it into the teleprompter. Right? It doesn't tell anybody about it. He put it in the teleprompter himself, does his show, a Friday show, and then comes off to the back end of this thing and says, you know what, I quit. I hope the truth prevails. And hands it off to Neil Cavuto. Neil Cavuto had no idea this was going on. Neil Cavuto, is easy. he's a veteran professional himself. He does a Pretty decent job, relatively speaking anyway, as far as journalism goes on the Fox News Network. And he was floored. He's like, whoa. He had no idea that was coming. He hands it off to John Roberts, who's supposed to be doing like a stand-up live shot somewhere. And John Roberts is, uh... These are seasoned professionals, man. And they, they had no idea how to handle any of that. The scuttlebutt is that uh, Shepard Smith was getting sick and tired of the uh, opinion hosts at night, particularly Tucker Carlson and, and Hannity, lobbing bombs at him from his own network. They were basically criticizing him for not being supportive enough of Donald Trump. Scuttlebutt is, he got sick of it. I'm done with this crap. I don't want any part of this anymore. I quit. This really fits in. It fits in with a lot of other things that are going on within that sort of uh, environment over there. It fits in with the, the establishment people who are running away from the White House. There's nobody there. There's nobody left, man. They can't craft a coherent message. There's no strategy. All there is are the spastic ramblings of Donald Trump. And his guy, did you see the guy at the press conference last week? First, there was a quid pro quo, then there wasn't. It's amateur hour. It's not even amateur hour. Most amateurs would be embarrassed of this. Most amateurs would have a better plan, a better, even a plan in place of how to, how to craft their message, how to strategize how they're going to portray their spin of the events in both uh, Ukraine and Syria, they have no idea. No idea whatsoever. And I think that the establishment folks, they still can't come out and say it. They still can't come out and say, this guy is just, he's batshit crazy. They can't do that because constituent mob over there, the drooling mob with the pitchforks, Trump, they can't do that because they're going to get primary. They're not going to, they're not going to be able to, even pray for re-election. So I think what they're hoping is to separate themselves or at least not be seen as supporting him wholeheartedly. Just keep quiet and watch what happens. 
Watch the polling because the, uh, you know, the public polling, they always have to watch because that's part of the constituent mob thing, right? They've got to watch the polling. They've got to watch public opinion. It's part and parcel with uh, being beholden to the mob. you got to know what the mob wants you to do, right? And it's been creeping up. Most people have supported the impeachment inquiry for a long time. Over half the country, for uh, quite a while anyway, has supported the inquiry, at least looking into this. And this includes a lot of conservatives. Maybe not the Trump base, but a lot of -of run-of-the-mill Republicans want to see what's going on here and make their decision after that. But also, the number of people who support removal has been steady. It's not skyrocketing at this point, but it is creeping up. And so I think a lot of these these Republicans are just like, okay, we need to see what happens with these people. And if that continues... The onslaught continues, the investigative onslaught. It's his own doing, his own shooting of himself in the orange foot. If that continues, and he keeps marching these amateurs out in front of the microphone to do the Democrats' work for him, well, at some point, there's going to come a point of no return, right? So it makes perfect sense. We may be heading to the point... I. I, I hate to say this. I, I, I hesitate to say this out loud. It's like rooting for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Lions fans understand this. Hope springs eternal every September, right? This is going to be a different kind of year for the Lions. Yes, I'm optimistic. Oh, da, 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 da. We're going to go to the playoffs. Then by the end of September, or I'm sorry, the end of October, mid-November, you're back in a fit of depression because you've realized that they're still the Detroit Lions, right? That's how I feel when I say <laughs> that uh, this could possibly end up at a removal. But I can't sit here and say, like I did two weeks ago, that I'm, I'm almost certain that he's going to be acquitted. I can't say that now. The man will not get out of his own. He acts like he wants to be impeached. Not only wants to be impeached, he acts like he wants to be removed. Either that or he's, he's clinically, I don't think he's clinically retarded. Not literally. Is he? Going on longer than I intended to. One other point I wanted to make on it, though, was this Mitt Romney thing. He's been the one guy. He, he and uh, Justin Amash are two that come to mind. There are others that have come out against Trump. I understand that. But uh, both uh, Amash and Romney in particular, especially lately, then if Trump is removed from office and they have to have somebody to run up against the Democrats next November, if they don't want to settle for Mike Pence, and God, why would they? Can you imagine that? The choice we would have between, say, Elizabeth Warren and Mike Pence. I mean, I don't know that anything would better personify American schizophrenia than that. Mike Pence over here and Elizabeth friggin' Warren over here. And don't say anything about Bernie Sanders. Bernie has problems. Bernie had a heart attack. Bernie's done. Bernie's toast. Bernie isn't going to happen. He had a heart attack and he's got cancer as well. Oh, you didn't hear about that. The cancer's name is AOC endorsing him. That's a tumor. 
Call it butt cancer if you want. Now, Bernie's not going to sell it. Probably Elizabeth Warren. I'm kind of hoping for Amy Klobuchar, but just think about that. Think about the choice we're giving ourselves between Mike Pence and Elizabeth Warren if that happens. God, I pray to God. I would, I would almost, I would pray with me now, won't you? Jesus, Jesus, please take us back to normalcy. Give us Mitt Romney over here and maybe Amy Klobuchar over here. If you do this for me, Jesus, my Savior, my Messiah, light of my life, I'll go to church for a month straight and I will stop this podcast cold. I will. Jesus, please. Listening to Escaping the Cave podcast, escapingthecave.com. That's my website. Screw Twitter. Not doing it anymore. I can listen to this song all day, man. This is one of the, uh, by far, maybe the most underrated tune by Aerosmith. Baby, I'm a dreamer. Found my horse and carriage. The horse. It's apparently Mitt Romney. The carriage is Amy Klobuchar. I am a dreamer at my heart and soul. <laughs> All right. I've been complaining a lot lately. It's kind of what I do. People like to hear me rant and rave sometimes. I've heard that said before. Other people don't. And they don't really count. But I'm going to spend the rest of today's episode... Sort of uh, giving props to uh, a couple of different people. First of all, uh, Nicholas Carr. I've mentioned him a lot on this podcast. You're going to be hearing, you're going to be sick and tired. You're going to be hearing Nicholas Carr in your sleep by the time I'm done with this man. I may never be done with this man. Just simply based on the book, The Shallows. <laughs> That's going to be enough for you. But he's also got a blog out there, and he's still writing. I, I, I thought he had kind of... I don't know if he'd moved away from blogging or not. I, I, he doesn't do it very often. Let's put it that way. He put up another blog last month, and I actually just found it this morning, and it's awesome. See if this sounds familiar to you. From public intellectual to public influencer. He criticized, he went after the public social media influencer type. When I saw this, I literally squealed with joy and glee. This is going to tie directly into the second part of this. Again, it's from Nicholas Carr, his blog. It's called Rough Type. And you can find that online uh, real easy. I think it's a WordPress blog. And it was written uh, last month, September 22, 2019. And part of this says that the public intellectual has been reborn as the public influencer. Both the public intellectual and the public influencer play a quasi-independent role separate from, but still dependent upon, a traditional, culturally powerful institution. In the case of the public influencer, the institution is the corporation, and the role is marketing. All right. 
He says this shift makes a lot of sense. Marketing, after all, has displaced thinking as our primary culture-shaping activity. I love that. Marketing has displaced thinking as our primary culture-shaping activity. The source of what we perceive ourselves to be. This is brilliant. Public Square, having moved from the metaphorical marketplace of ideas to the literal marketplace of goods. I'm going to repeat that line. The public square, having moved from the metaphorical marketplace of ideas to the literal, literal, proper use of the term here, marketplace of goods. It's only natural that we should look to a new kind of guru to guide us. The marketer. Both the public intellectual and the uh, public influencer play an instrumental role in shaping cultural ideas and tying them to the individual's sense of self. I'm going to repeat that line, too, because this is where I'm going to go next. Both the intellectual, public intellectual, and the public influencer play an instrumental role in shaping cultural ideals and tying them to the individual's sense of self. When the public intellectual was ascendant, cultural ideals resolved around the public good. Today, though, they resolve around the consumer good, the product. The idea that the self emerges from the construction of a set of values and beliefs has faded. Let that sink in for a moment. idea that the self emerges from the construction of a set of values and beliefs has faded. What the public influencer understands more sharply than most is that the path of self-definition now winds through the aisles of a cultural supermarket. We shop for our identity as we shop for our toothpaste, choosing from a wide selection of ready-made products. I underlined that in ink, really heavy. We shop from a wide selection of ready-made products. Have you listened to the Media 101 podcast yet? One of the very first episodes I did, one of my most downloaded episodes, I keep pimping it, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Turning news and information, ideology, worldview in his case, and what he's talking about here, turning that into a commodity to be marketed and then sold to you the consumer. Influencer displays his wares and then uh, links this up to the purchase, always with the understanding that returns and exchanges will be easy and free. He's talking, I think, a lot, in this case anyway, about the product influencers. I get that. I don't think so. I don't think it's limited to that. Obviously, I don't think it's limited to that. I'm talking about the IDW here, Claire Lehman and Company. Andy, no. Remember him? Remember I was ranting and railing about him a couple of months ago? How he went out to Portland to quote-unquote confront Antifa? Oh, and he was beaten on, and his, his camera gear was broken again. And he went to Twitter. He ran to Twitter again for the second time in a month. Airing his video. Showing how he got beat up, saying he needed money. I need money for my camera gear again. Again. I got hospital bills. Look what they did to me. Oh, please visit my Patreon account. Give me money. 
There's others out there, man. Ben Shapiro, or Shapiro, however he says his name, he comes to mind as well. People hawking a worldview, hawking a perspective in exchange for money, in exchange for clicks, in exchange for followers, which equals status in places like Twitter and Instagram. He's nailed this. He has nailed this. The man's a genius. Nicholas Carr, rough type, over at WordPress. The book is called The Shallows, over at the Amazon place. Get familiar with him. Please, for the love of Christ, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're familiar with me, you definitely should be familiar with Nicholas Carr. There's more. The remnants of the public intellectual class resents the rise of the influencer. The remnants of the public intellectual class resents the rise of the influencer. Some of that resentment stems from the has-beens, has-beens natural envy of the is-now. <laughs> but there's a material angle as well. Uh, the one big difference between the public influencer and the public intellectual Lies in compensation. Andy, now the Patreon effect. Public intellectuals were forced to subsist on citations, the thinnest of gruel, while influencers, they get fame, they get followers, they get status over on Twitter. Hey, Mr. Shapiro. Right? They get cash through their Patreon accounts, paid appearances. Stuff like that. They also get merchandise, stuff to wear. These are the, the, the traditional type people. Stuff to wear, stuff to eat, stuff to sit on. I have a story I could tell you about a uh, social media influencer that I met down in Central America a couple of years back. Oh, she was great. She was uh, in the business of giving uh, positive reviews in exchange for places to stay. She was basically fleecing other travelers so she could pay less. I apologize for the lawnmower out there. I'm going to go out and beat his ass. Yeah, they get merch, they get stuff to wear, they get stuff to eat, stuff to sit on, as long as they are willing to push traffic, to push commerce in a certain direction, they get compensated for it. The reviews you read are horseshit. They're being paid to say nice things about these products. You have to be a little more sophisticated. I think you understand this by now, though, right? I think, I think most of us have a concept of this at this point. Have you applied that now? Have you applied that to these social media political influencers? The same concept. They are giving you what you want in exchange for money. They are crafting a product to you, to your identity. The final insult, they receive in abundance what public intellectuals most craved but could not have, our hearts. Aww. See, this is why I record in the middle of the night. Seriously. Seriously, it's the end of October. What the hell do you have to mow for, jackass? I'll be back.
don't think they're going to be able to find the body. That's good. I mean, really? Who the hell mows at the end of October, for Christ's sake? Escaping the Cave podcast. EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. Hi there. All right. There's a couple of tie-ins to this thing from Nicholas Carr that I want to mention. And one of which is going to be beaten to death later on. And this is the tie-in between. This is bizarre. I didn't know this existed until uh, just a few days ago. I'm lying in bed the other night. I couldn't record a podcast. I'm all pissed off because for whatever reason, I just couldn't get anything out of my mouth. I into the microphone. So I went in, and I've got this really thick and huge, uh, almost 1,000-page biography of Joseph Goebbels. Fascinating. And what I didn't realize, I, I'm actually at the point now, right around 1929 in the biography. So he's, he's joined up with Hitler. He's taken control of the organization in Berlin. He's taken charge of the propaganda uh, organization. He's just figuring out what it is he wants to do. He's sort of a natural of this stuff, right? And he uh, admitted that he had no idea how to do this. It didn't really, his method didn't really conform too much to any sort of theory. This is something that's going to tie in later on. I know this sounds a little confusing right now. It'll make sense later. Just put this in the back of your brain uh, for a little while. He says it has only one aim. And this is a quote from Goebbels. His propaganda has only one aim. This political aim is always known as the conquest of the masses. All right? This is the important part. All means used to this end are good, and all means that ignore this aim are bad. The entire goal is the psychological conquest of the masses. All right? Propaganda methods uh, develop out of a day-to-day struggle, he said. And he formulated this, according to the author, thoroughly uh, instrumental and functional approach in many different ways, including outright cynicism. Presentation in 1929. Remember that year, 1929, Edward Bernays. He contended that the uh, people were, in his view, mostly just a gramophone record playing back public opinion. (laughs) Does this sound familiar to you? This is Goebbels, 1929. Playing back public opinion. And public opinion, he said, in its turn, is created by the organs of uh, public opinion such as uh, press, posters, radio, school, and university, and general education. All of this is going to come up again. I'm going to repeat that. He says that public opinion, this is Goebbels in 1929, public opinion is in its turn created by the organs, the organs of public opinion, press, posters, radio, school, university, and general education. Pre-propaganda. He knew what he was doing. Uh, But the government, he said, in his case anyway, owned uh, these organs. Not so much the case in our uh, situation here. It goes further than this, though. Seems that in developing these principles, the author said, Goebbels was not much influenced by contemporary theoretical writings about the much-discussed use of slogans in political propaganda. Unlike Hitler, he was not uh, particularly impressed by the propaganda put out by the workers' movement, the socialists, 
uh, or by the British propaganda during the Great War, World War I. He took his cue. This is where I'm headed here. He took his cue from the model of commercial advertising. That's the Bernays tie-in. That's also, by extension, Walter Lippmann. Commercial advertising. There was nowhere better to study it than the world of everyday Berlin, which in uh, the golden 20s, the author said, had become something of a uh, laboratory for advertising experiments. This is the dawn of mass media, radio and all that stuff. Mass electronic media. Advertising experiments going on all over the world, including in Berlin. And the commercial advertisement of those days fell more and more under the influence of advertising psychology. Advertising psychology developed in the United States of America. This is Bernays. It has to be Bernays. It doesn't say so in here, but it has to be. There is too much of a coincidence here. There is too much of a coincidence. 1929 is the year that uh, I think Bernays' propaganda came out. It's seven years after Walter Lippmann's public opinion came out, where they started to discuss how to manipulate the, the mass, the mob mentality, the group mind via electronic media. There's an advertising psychology that's being developed, that's being sort of grown in a Petri dish in the late 1920s. Damn mower's back. It's a zombie. I swear to God. What are you doing? Developed in the United States and picked up and systematically applied in Germany starting in the early 1920s. But by this time, it was being developed. Again, remember, Walter Lippmann, 1922. Edward Bernays, 1929. And the stuff that he was uh, really starting to kick in, and Goebbels was really starting to kick in his propaganda machine right around 1929. There's an entire section here. There's a whole section. I'm not going to do the whole thing. You're welcome. But it talks about, like, memes. <laughs> but as, as far as propaganda posters, uh, if you look at your memes, these uh, the propaganda memes, the political memes you find on Twitter and on Facebook, they have a whole scientific study about this today, currently, about optimum size, colors, and placement of the material. They have to be really direct. They have to contain slogans. They have to be memorable, something you can read really fast. These modern-day memes, memes today in 2019, are the equivalent of the propaganda poster in 1929. And the scientific study that they were doing back in 1929 about the layout really parallels today. And this study that they're doing, the advertising psychology they were doing in the late 1920s directly parallels the algorithm studies that we're doing today as far as the matrix goes. Author goes on to say that there was something published in 1930 as saying that commercial advertising was overtly cited as the model to follow, whether it was a matter of uh, simplification, constant repetition of memorable slogans, children in cages, children in cages, concentration camp at the border, or a concentration of propaganda material in regular campaigns, the principles of mass advertising could easily be applied to political propaganda. That's where I'm going to go with this. Because we live in a, a consumerist society. Some of the stuff that I'm going to get to here in a couple of minutes 
from some really smart people, some very intelligent, highly trained people. There are glaring holes here, glaring holes where people do not understand what they're dealing with. They don't understand the fundamental principles of propaganda. And I think my working thesis for the day is, is that's because it's based on commercial advertising. And we are so conditioned in this culture, in this society, in this capitalist society, this consumerist society, we're so used to advertising that we don't know what it is we're looking at anymore. This is Edward Bernays. This is Lippmann, of course. This is Alul. He talks about this as well. But I think part of the reason that we cannot see this, even highly trained people, even so-called experts in disinformation, cannot see the elements of propaganda before their face because they do not understand it because it looks like advertising to them. And we are so numb to advertising now. I've mentioned probably 50 times on this podcast how different it is. Go go out in a backpack, go backpacking around Latin America, go hitchhiking around the U.S. where you're not being bombarded constantly by electronic advertising. And to be re-immersed in it, how you're resensitized to it and it hits you like a tidal wave right in the face. And then you adapt to it again. I've talked about that a lot. I've also suggested that for one particular day, one day, you get yourself like a little notebook and a pen. Don't get a pencil because you'll have to sharpen it. And a pen. And every time you're advertised to for something, some product, something requesting your money or your eyeballs, politically, commercially, anything, make a note. Just pay attention to how often you are bombarded by something. This, I think, is why we can't tell when we're being propagandized and when we're not. We cannot tell that our minds are being manipulated anymore because they're always being manipulated. It's insidious. Insidious, 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 insidious. Well, a hubba hubba hubba, I just got back. Well, a hubba hubba hubba, let's shoot some breeze. Say whatever happened to the Japanese. A hubba hubba hubba, haven't you heard? A hubba hubba hubba, slip me the word. I got it from the guy who was in the know. It was mighty smoky over Tokyo. Friend of mine in a B-29 dropped another load for luck. As he flew away, he was heard to say, Hubba, 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 yak, yak. Well, I gotta go fishing. That's okay, we'll give you our permission. And we'll say, Hubba, 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 on your way. And I will dig you later in the USA. Hi, hi, hi. Hubba, 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 I just got in. Hubba, 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 well, give me some skin. Well, you're looking mighty pretty, Miss Curly Locks. I'm the gravel girdie of the Bobby Socks. Yatta, 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 ta You talk big. Well, I'm the fresh tomato. You can't dig. Let's have a heart to heart, and you'll decide. I'm a chick 
quads really on the solid side. You knock me flat, you're the kind of a cat makes me wanna blow my top till the end of time. <laughs> And if you feel that way, tell me what you say. Hubba, 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 mop, mop. Well, now you're really talking. You're no square. You can't be from Weehawken. Mm-mm, Delaware. You got a line of jive that's really zoo. Well, I'll dig you later, baby. You're all rude. Listen to the Scape and Cave podcast, scapeandcave.com. Fuck Twitter. I am your friendly host, Todd. And, uh... I'm going to call another audible. The last part, or what was supposed to be the last part of this episode, has been recorded. Here's the thing. It went almost twice as long. This segment by itself is over an hour. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I'm already running up, I think, around 45 minutes as we speak now. So I'm going to just uh, take that one. I'm going to add it to basically turn it into its own episode, or at least a, a large segment of the next one. I'll probably get to uh, releasing that either, I might actually release it later on today, maybe tonight, or definitely uh, tomorrow. And we'll go from there. And you're going to want to listen to this too. I'm uh, doing something, I <laughs> I don't know if I should have done this or not, but I really wanted to share this information. So what I've done is I've taken some, some audio from another podcast, from uh, one called Your Undivided Attention. It's put out by the Center for Humane Technology. I don't want to even give the impression that this is sanctioned. All right. They didn't <laughs> endorse me doing this. They don't even know I exist. All right. But I listened to this stuff a couple of months ago, and the material is fantastic. I think it comes up in, in areas, and this is really presumptuous on my part considering who it is and what they're doing, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think it comes up just a tiny bit short, at at least as far as historical perspective goes and the material that I've been talking about over the last couple of months. And it is definitely, definitely applies. Okay. So what I've done is I've taken some of the audio out of uh, one of their episodes and I'm going to basically use it and sort of expand on it a little bit. Again, I don't want to give the impression they are going to be on my show or that I'm interviewing these folks, but I want to give full credit to them and uh, also um, encourage you. I would implore you actually to go listen to this podcast. Uh, It is called Your Undivided Attention. They don't do episodes very often. I think they just released one maybe in the last week or two, but it's been maybe two months uh, since the last one. Uh, The guy's name is uh, Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin. These are the two main hosts of the podcast, and who I'm going to be featuring tomorrow, at least on my show, or lifting from theirs for my show, is a woman named uh, Renee Duresta. You may have heard that name. She's all over the place. She does a lot of shows. She is a disinformation expert. She co-authored the Senate Intelligence Committee's Russia investigation. She knows her stuff, and some of the material that she puts out talking about the 2016 election, the tactics used by the election interferers, interferees, what would that be? (laughs) Jackasses who hacked our election, or interfered with it anyway. Uh, It's really creepy how sophisticated it is and how they use just basic, basic human psychology. And this is why I wanted to use this material, because it applies to the stuff that I have been talking about all the way back to Lippmann, all the way back to Bernays and Joseph Goebbels, using truth, telling the truth in propaganda, and, of course, uh, Jacques Ellul and some other people. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm going to inject myself into their chat, <laughs> I guess. But I, I, I think I did a pretty good job with it. I I'm, I'm, think I'm fair with it. And also, uh, I, I think you're really going to like the part about Jill Stein and Hillary Clinton and Tulsi Gabbard this week. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, if we're not careful, we're just going to repeat the same mistakes we made in 2016. In fact, I, I, I would almost say that we're almost guaranteed to repeat a lot of those same mistakes. Starting with you, Atulsi. 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 Oh, she's beautiful, though, isn't she? Am I, am I old? Well, yeah. But I think a presidential candidate's hot. That's not supposed to happen. I'm young. I'm, I'm spry. <sighs> oh, well. Make sure you check out that podcast, Por Favor. In fact, I'll put the link. Uh, make sure to put the link in the uh, podcast description tomorrow. Once you're done with mine, go listen to theirs. Check out everything they have over there. Huh? Thank you. Escapingthecave.com. That's my website. Fuck Twitter. Go check out uh, Chris's website as well. ChristopherMedia.net. Make sure those subscriptions are up to date. I implore you. And if you like the podcast, if you know somebody else who would like the podcast, share the podcast with them. You are going to be my marketing team. It has to find the right people, and the right people have to share it. That's how it's got to work, my friends. Hi to you folks in Hong Kong, too. (laughs) Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.